Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome to another episode of What's the Hype Podcast. The building. And an interception, and you're not down by 10 anymore. Andre Howe, his second interception. To get you the information that you need is when you start your own business and do your own thing. And I felt like it gave me a good perspective. I was not the first person to go through what I went through. Okay, so uh, talk about your individual and team success during your time at Bethune-Cookman. Uh, so the team success, like I said, it was um, – well, well, I'm, I'm going to back up. I'm going to talk about individual first because this kind of goes back to what I went through in high school. So remember in high school I say, you know, I only got like 31 targets. <clears throat> um, I, I did as much as I could with what I got. The coach uh, who called me says, you know, we want you. We're going to – you know, we're doing these things with the offense, blah, blah, blah. So I get there, right? And I see they're running some offense called the Wyatt Bone. Like, <laughs> what is this? And it's a it's a, you know, for those who don't know, Wyatt Bone is basically a wishbone offense. So we had so it was like, you know, these options and beers and a lot of motions and everything. So I was playing on the outside and I was like, you know, I thought we we're gonna be in shotgun. I thought we we're gonna like, you know, throw the pigskin and offense didn't change. So I pretty much got an, a different version of what I already got, I went through in high school. Mm-hmm. So now, you know, then we're not throwing the ball a lot that much. And so I think my freshman year, I think I, I, I played a lot on offense, but, you know, I think I, I didn't get any targets. Um, I think I, I started the year as offensive kick returner my freshman year, I cut, returned a couple kicks. And sophomore year, I think I had maybe, I think it was like 10, maybe 10 catches, a touchdown. My junior year, which is my best year, I think I had probably 15, 16 catches, probably three, 300 some yards and like three or four touchdowns. And then my senior year, which I can talk about a little bit later too, is um, I, I had like maybe five or six catches. So during that time period individually, I was um, still had a level of frustration because I felt like, you know, um, if I was in the right system, I probably could have develop more so I probably could have got more looks I probably could have uh, made more noise from a from a statistic standpoint and I and I had that thought cross my mind of transferring after my sophomore year because like you know I want every wide receiver wants the ball mm-hmm. um, and I just felt like uh, you know for me personally even even to this day I still feel like you know the time I did in high school the time I did in college I felt like I never really reached the potential that I could have um, had or achieved um, playing wide receiver because I, I was never in a pass happy offense. And kind of going back to high school, the, I graduated 2001, 2002, they implemented the spread offense in my high school and they, and they were throwing for days. And so when I, when I went back to the, the high school game, I'm like, if we would have did this, we would have, we would still even been better. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so, 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 uh, and, and then and one thing I forgot to mention, I meant to, I meant to mention this too, when I was in high school, my my junior year, so this was 1999, we had the number four ranked team in the nation. So we were behind De La Salle in California, Miami Northwestern, and Robert E. Lee in Texas. So we were number we were number four like that year. Um, so I mean, that, 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 <laughs> yeah, that's that. just just I'm, yeah. I'm, my school just want to yeah yeah yeah. <laughs> so uh, so yeah. Um, and so from, from that standpoint, that's kind of, you know, what, what I came out of in high school. But college, individual success wasn't as much as I would have liked or wish I, I wish it would have been. But it was just kind of 
the cards that I was, uh, the hand that I was dealt. But from a team aspect, um, like I said, those teams, those those 02 and 03 teams were good. My, my freshman year, I think we were still young. We had some older players who had played a couple years. Um, and keep in mind, if you're if you know about that that time period, uh, Coach Wyatt was new to Cookman as, in terms of being the head coach in '98. Mm-hmm. So he was still building up to that 02 and 03 team. And then 04, um, I think we had we had a decent team. It wasn't as good as 02 and 03. Not not as much talent as those two teams. But but overall, I mean, it was just fun, you know, playing in different classics. We, we started playing a lot more SWAC schools um, during that time period. That if you look back, that's actually the uh, the uh, the biggest attendances of the Florida Classic. That's when we broke all the records. Mm-hmm. So like in 02, I think we had seventy thousand in 03, which I think is still the the biggest number. We had seventy four thousand, and that was just inside the stadium. We had you know probably another forty thousand, fifty thousand outside. So those games were real real huge, um, you know, for us. And um, it, it, it was it was definitely fun. And, you know, played with a lot of great, great guys. I mean, not looking back, I played with what, three pro bowlers Listen, or two we, pro bowlers. Yeah, we, we're going to get into that. But Dre, just HBCU, Dre, we were, um, as he mentioned, the classic 70 plus thousand players, uh, 70 plus plus thousand fans coming to a game. Uh, right. Like I know you played at Vandy. I don't know what was the biggest crowd, but. <laughs> HBCU, bro. We it was a you know I, I um in the years that I was there, we averaged a, a, probably about sixty five thousand somewhere up in there, wow. you know. Yeah. But they had seventy plus thousand in in the stadiums uh for for, the, for those games. So it was you know again even that was a selling point to recruit some of the guys who could have possibly went to a bigger, not necessarily well a D one school, but not necessarily a bigger crowd because the Florida Classic for itself was a selling point for you know, a lot of the young guys that go and be able to play in front of that crowd in your home state. Yeah, so. I mean, it, 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 it was huge. I mean, and the, the beautiful thing about it, man, you look up in the stands and it was like, you know, all brown all brown faces. Yeah. Yes. I mean, it was deep. And it, there was no no violence, no issues, anything like that. Everybody, everyone was there for the right reasons. Mm-hmm. And during those times, this was during the time when FAMU was trying to make the jump to 1A. Mm-hmm. And... um. And a lot of those years, that game was the, determining who won the MEAC. So it, it, you, were, you were playing for something during that time, too. And Sam had some talent, too, during that time as well. No question, no question. So as you mentioned, you were going to start talking about some of the guys you, you played with. So when you talk about a Rasheem Mathis, Nick Collins, Eric Wing. So all of them, just again, you're not mentioning Alan Suba, who also went pro, and Steve Baggs, who also went pro. But these guys were all pro at one point in their career. Nick Collin has been on the ballot for Hall of Famer. If it wasn't for his injury, no question, mm-hmm. he would have been a surefire Hall of Famer. And he still may get the opportunity to go because in a short amount of time that he played, Super Bowl champion, touchdown in the Super Bowl, interceptions, all, leader, all that. Did you see that coming? Again, of course, Rasheen's 14, 16, you said 10 and 14 interceptions. But, you know, did you see that coming with, you know, again, Eric Wing, who I was able to play two years with, just did you see that coming, you know, with those guys? Well, yeah. So I'm, I'm going to go one by one because each one has their own different story. So um, Rasheen, I'm going to start with, with, with Rasheen first. So I get there in 2001. <clears throat> he He's a he's a junior when I'm coming in as a freshman. So the year before he had 10 picks and he, his freshman year, he had four picks. So his first year he played corner. And then they, they got four picks. They moved him to safety and he got 10 picks. And I, I remember reading about him when I was in high school. So when I get there, I see him and I'm like, I mean, I immediately I'm like, yeah, this guy, he, he, he's good. But, you know, I'm freshman. I'm like, all right, I'm going to try him. 
So like I remember first, I think for two a days, you know, um, they they want you know you get uh, one on ones going. Mm-hmm. So I jump to the front of the line. Like I'm I'm jumping in front of seniors and everything. I'm like I, I want I want this. So <laughs> I get in front of them. I, I never forget. I think I, I think we caught like a slant play or whatever. So normally, Jeff, you you probably know. Uh, well, both of you know. Normally, playing wide receiver, if if a defensive back is on you and you run, you know, you run that slant route and you get them to turn their shoulders the opposite way. Mm-hmm. Like if you go into the right, you get them to t- open up to that to the side to the to the left to your left. You got them beat, mm-hmm. like because they're 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 out of position. So I run that slant to him, I plant, and he turns his shoulders, and I look back at the ball, and I, and I'm about to catch it, and then I just see a hands come by, and he just knocks it down. I'm like, how did how did you do that? So this, this dude, he turned the wrong way, had quick twitch muscles, and came back and, and cut cut in front of the ball to knock it down. I've never seen that before. Wow. Um, at, at least you know, for me, you know, personally. So when he made that play on me, I was like, yeah, this this dude is he, he he's he's legit, and he was fast. He had he had uh, endurance. When we, whenever we ran those sprints, I never seen him like you know like doubled over like he can't breathe or complaining. He just he just ate those sprints like he didn't like he didn't even look tired. And I remember, and I remember he had this tattoo on his forearm when I got there. He had a tattoo of a football and it had NFL on it, and it said, uh, "The game chose me." And and I saw it, I was like, "Yeah, that's that's true, <laughs> that's true." <laughs> so so for, with Rasheen, day one, I saw that because um, I mean there was even talk, and you don't you don't hear this at an HBCU, let alone one um, AA, but there was there was legitimate talk of him skipping his senior year to go pro which would have been the 2002 draft um but he decided you know people they were like we just might as well go back because at that time he had what four picks 10 so 14 he already had 18 picks in three years and so they were like you know go ahead and um, um go back but he was he was seriously considering skipping his senior year you hear that at the big schools but not at Bethune cookman right so you know he so he, he so he, he he bought out man and i i tell one quick story about machine Another time I knew he was cut from a different cloth. We were playing, this was 02. We were playing down in South Florida against FIU. Uh, or no, FAU. No, FIU, I'm sorry, FIU. And he caught a punt. And when he caught the punt, I guess he didn't see the, you know, the guy coming down uh, on from his blind side and the guy nailed him. Bam. I mean, he 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 ran through Sheen, ran through him. Rasheen gets up, his thumb, this is pointing back this way. Whoa. And, and, and he's just kind of looking at it and he just walks off the field. And then I saw it. I was like, yeah, that's dislocated, broke or whatever. And so he just points to the trainer. He's pointing to his thumb. And then and then he looks away. They pop it back in place. They take his glove off. They tape it. No, they, they kept his glove on. They popped it back in place. They taped it up. Next series, he goes out and gets a pick, takes it back like 40 yards. Like it, it wasn't even like he, he he wasn't grimacing. He wasn't like, oh, my God, my, my hand hurt. Coach, I don't want to go in. He just like tape it up. Went back out there, and got a pick. So, like for him, I knew he was cut from a different cloth. And then, if I if I got my facts straight, he was the second DB taken behind Troy Palamalu during that draft. I think that's or the second safety. Mm-hmm. So that lets you kind of know what kind of um, play, place he was in. So Nick Collins, Nick Collins came in the year I did, but he was a prop forty eight, so he didn't play in a one. So he came in in 2 and he. In the beginning of the first half of the season, we knew him as like he was like a um, uh, like our best special teamer. Like on kickoff, he would be the first one running down, and he would just like be running through people. But it was it wasn't to the point where we we're like, oh, he's going to the NFL. 
Um, so, you know, he, he was playing. Then second half of that year, I think there was an issue with the starter, had some off the field stuff. So they put him in and he started as a, as a, as a uh, or he started the second half of the year. So that's all two. Oh, three, you know, he's, he, he's still, he's starting, he's doing his thing, he's playing. Oh, four, he's starting doing his thing, he's playing. There wasn't really a time for me personally, and I and this is just purely my my recollection of it. There wasn't a time where I looked at Nick and I was like, "Yes, he's going to be the surefire draft pick. Yes, he's going to be in the in the Packer Hall of Fame. Yes, he's going to be a Hall of Fame potential." I, I, I mean, he was he was talented. He was fast. Um, he could catch. He could hit. But I was like, "You got to be Sheen." I, I didn't at the time. I didn't put him in the same league as Sheen. Sheen was 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 different in college. It wasn't until his pro day of 05 when he ran a 4-3 on grass and he slipped at the start. That's when I was like, maybe there's something there. Maybe it would be a late round draft. Pick. <laughs> but when, when, when he got picked, because keep in mind, Sheen got picked. He was the first pick of the – like he was like top five pick of the second round. Mm-hmm. And I think Nick was maybe the first pick of the second round, the top five of the second round. So when when Nick got picked that high, I was like, I was like, oh man, I was like, what did I miss? And I was like, I played with him. Like, what what did I miss? And then when he got to, when he got to Green Bay, I think he got better in the NFL no than, he was in, than he was in, in college. No question. So he 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 just I think his growth trajectory was was just had a steep incline. And if it wasn't for his injury, I think he would be a surefire Hall of Famer. Quick 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 I mean, question. I, I, one of the guys who was a scout in uh, with the Texans when I was in work was there with them. He told me that. Tampa didn't draft him because they didn't think he was smart enough to pick up the defense. And what they saw when he went to Green Bay, a more complicated defense because every, Tampa ran to Tampa too, so it wasn't really that complex. But again, just, you know, HBCU, they didn't see a whole lot from him. Right. Whatever happened in Green Bay, they they couldn't have had, they couldn't have guessed that in a million years. Yeah. I mean, it, it was, I, I, I think a lot of our, a lot of us who played with him, I think, if we were honest with ourselves, we did not see that coming. The way he, the way he balled out that he did, I think he played seven years in the league. Did did not see it coming. Very, very happy for him. I mean, he's in a Packer like Hall of Fame, and Charles Woodson inducted him. So, I mean, I, I, I didn't see that coming at all. But, but he was definitely a good player in in college. Um, and so, and then Eric Weems, um, the thing I liked about Eric, man, he had he had that that dog fight in him from day one. And he started at Cookman the day he stepped mm-hmm. on the campus. Like, day, like, like day one, when we, we did our, our first drills, he was the, like, they called it the A-back. He was the A-back position. And the thing I liked about Eric was that he never got tired. Mm-hmm. Like, whenever we ran sprints and ran, because the A-back, they, 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 did, they did the most running on the offense. And he would always catch a pitch, run about 50 yards, come back, and he just never got tired. And that's what I always liked about him. And his first college game had four touchdowns. Uh, when first, he played in the, first, in the, in the first game. First, first game. game. Yeah. So, um, yeah, he, he was definitely a baller. Now, I would say with him, I didn't see NFL either. Even though he was good, I thought the size would kind of get him. Um, uh, and, and the fact that we're playing in this kind of gimmick offense. And um, he really didn't return kicks or punts until his senior year. And, um, it, like, because I played with him in 03 and 04, he didn't return kicks or punts then. He was just mm-hmm. the, the um, offensive weapon. So I was really happy to see how he was able to get on with a couple teams in the NFL and be there for like 10 years. I think he had a 10 year career. Mm-hmm. So for him coming out of a uh, sea breeze to go to Cookman and even at sea breeze, you, you may know, uh, Jeb, uh, Eric, I think he had 10 picks. Yeah. He was, as a, as, yeah. That's a safety. As a safety. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and he was like all state basketball, I think. So he, yeah. so the, so he was an athlete, Period. but, um, 
but yeah, uh, so so those three guys, um, that's kind of my story with them. But I would say, you know, one through three, Rasheen, you knew that when you saw him the first minute you saw him, you're like, yeah, he's going to the league. There's no question about that. So we have we have Eric we had we have Eric on this season as well, and he talked about that. Talk about from day one walking in and just um, starting and, and making plays and the relationship with the connection that him and Alan Suba had. But um, yeah. what he talked about, and of course. The same thing that you mentioned, like he was a guy who would never miss practice. Like it, he, he was at the point where I played the last two years with him. He was the face of our team and he could have easily took a vet day is what we call it. And just yeah. hung out. He would never miss practice. And I, and I just knew that was, you know, something special. But then, you know, he picked up special teams. And again, Coach Wyatt was reluctant about that because, you know, he didn't want to get him hurt. He didn't want to so, hurt, right. But that was really the opportunity that allowed him to be able to get to the NFL and then be able to really sustain it was some other things he talked about on the episode but you know I didn't see I, I didn't see because he wasn't he wasn't that fast the first you know I was, no. a guy who was known for my speed but he wasn't that fast but going into his senior year, he worked hard on his speed and that yeah. really gave him the real opportunity because this is about speed you can be good but if you don't have that you don't have some type of speed it's gonna be hard yeah it's gonna be hard and i i got one more coach wyatt story that just came to my mind and, and jeff i let me know if this happened to you guys when you were there so i i would bet this doesn't happen in any other college but you know. <laughs> so during two a days right you know back during this time i i think the rules has changed but we used to practice two a day every day and I think when I was in college, maybe 2003, they changed it to 212. And I don't know what it is now. But back then, it was like two a day. You had to be there. So during this time, maybe around 2002, 2003, um, you know, people would get banged up. They would get hurt or whatever. And they would go to the training room. And you would, you know, get like some stem or get some ice or get on the bike to keep mobility or whatever. And one of these years, I think I like tweaked my hamstring during two a days or whatever. And I'm, get, I'm getting treatment on it. And I'd never forget Coach Wyatt. The only time he dressed like a regular coach was during two a days. He had like shorts on, sneakers, and like a little like garbage bag top on or whatever. So he come in there. He he kicks open the door. And he I think I think the the athletic trainer may have been Brad or something like that. He's like Brad, I want you to get all this stuff out here, and I want you to put it out on the side of the field. We're not gonna have anybody in the training room. And he just walks out. So they 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 pretty much take everything out of the training room. The exercise bikes. The machine stem stuff they put all that on the side and then he was like um if, if you're he said you either need to be on the bike or you need to walk around this practice field with 25 pound weights so you would get had to get a towel put it through the 25 pound weight and put it around your neck and walk around the field for the whole practice no matter what your injury was if you couldn't walk then you had to get on the bike but if you had like a shoulder injury or just something you had to put that around your back and, and walk you had to do that every practice because he was because he was like you're either gonna do that or you're gonna be out here on the on this field playing. He didn't want anybody in the in the in the training room, and I'm like, I'm like, we're hurt. We need to get we need to get better. But I think he did it because he didn't want people like you know to be faking or 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 putting old, on so they didn't have to play. Man, old but, school mentality, man. Yeah, but that, that, that was I've never heard of that anywhere else. <laughs> Twenty five no pound weight, man. So seeing firsthand that the NFL is possible, did you have any aspiration to play the next level? I, I did. I did. Um, I think during my sophomore, no, my junior year, which was my best year, um, my receivers coach at the time had said that there was some um, scouts who were coming through, um, I guess, you know, asking about me or whatever. Um, the only names he gave me was like, I think the Eagles and the Steelers. And I still thought it was possible. 
But um, I think uh, and because, you know, scouts already knew where Cookman was because of Rasheen. Mm-hmm. And then they, and they, they, were, they were already there. And I at least thought, you know, maybe Canadian football, I thought that could probably be an option. Um, but I, I knew for me personally, I knew that it was going to be over for me um, or that dream was just not in, in the cards for me. Is At the end of my junior year is when um, I made the decision, like, you know, to pledge cap up side at, at Cookman. And then when that happened, that pretty much, if you look at, you know, the workout schedule, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't have time to work out. And that was when the pro day was for the rising juniors. And so I was like, you know, if I don't make, if I don't go to the pro day and at least try to get my name out there, then I'm not really not going to have an opportunity, but I made the conscious effort. Then I was like, you know, what? I'm going to focus on this extracurricular activity and I'm just going to just finish out my career at Cook and just, just finish as a senior. So I had that, I had that thought and that dream up until the end of my junior year a season. And then after that, that's when, in my mind, I just made that split. I, I made that break knowing that, you know, my senior year is going to be my last year playing football. And to some extent, there was a little bit of a, um, a freedom that came with it <clears throat> when, when I when I made when I was clear in my head. Because prior to that, whenever I mean, from from Little League on up, whenever I would have a bad practice or I drop a pass in practice, like I didn't talk to nobody because I was mad. And I just it, like you can you could tell what type of practice I had based on, on on my mood, even in college. And so when I got to my my senior year, that's probably the most fun I had just playing the game of football because I didn't have this this tension or this pressure to try to make a play to try to get to the league or I'm trying to get seen or to get noticed. I'm just like you know what I really I really took in the the stadiums we went to, the rivalries the rivalries we had, the games we were playing, the classic locations, and just taking a minute to like take it all in and still you know play as well as I could. Um, so that, that was like a, a freeing decision for me. But, um, <clears throat> but it was during that time where I knew that playing in the NFL wasn't, wasn't in the, uh, wasn't in the cards uh, for me. And, I, and I'd like to probably say too, just kind of fraternity and being a part of the fraternity um, kind of puts you in a different perspective as well. Cause I know for me, I didn't, you know, I stayed away. I wasn't interested for one, the, 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 the capitals was off the yard, but two, yeah. I was like, I'm a part of the biggest fraternity in terms of football. Cause it was just football, football, football. Yeah. When yeah. I had the opportunity to, to join the fraternity, it changed everything now, you know, cause you got frat brothers at every, every school and all these different things. So it kind of, you know, for me, it opened up just kind of seeing things a little different. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that was the same here. Cause my, my first two, three years, I didn't have any inkling of going to join the fraternity. I was like, I'm in, I'm in the, I'm in the biggest fraternity on campus. I was like, Anything a fraternity can can do or get, the football team can do or get. So I was like, where's the where's the value? And then you know some you know you know some things happen. One thing led to another, and it and it just kind of like like you it just it opened my eyes when I got involved with it, and I was like, man, and I'm like, all right, so this is what it's this is what it's about, you know. So, no definitely, I, I can relate to that. Um, but as you mentioned, okay, you, you made that conscious decision going into your senior year. So with many athletes, they have trouble transitioning to life after the game. How was that process for you? Uh, for me, it, it I, I don't think it was a, a, as difficult for me. Um, you know, again, I didn't play in, in the NFL, but I've seen people have struggled with that transition, even from high school, even from college. Mm-hmm. For me, I always had in the back of my mind that I knew that there was going to be an end date with football. And, and it kind of goes back to my dad. My dad, he drilled in me. He always said, um, use the game of football. Don't let it use you. He told me that back when I was in middle school. So I took that as, you know, I'm going to use football to get me a scholarship. That's a means to an end. 
And I'm going to use football to, to, to open up door, as many doors as possible. And then, and then when I got to college, I was like, you know, that door may not be NFL, but it could be something else. So the transition for me during, during college, I was, you know, um, I'll I I say I was one of the few people who majored in business, in business administration, right? And um, I was always focused on my classes. I was always like, I, I hung out with more people than just football players. I hung out with people from all different walks of life. And, um, and I think in my mind, I was always kind of thinking about, okay, I want to be, if, I, if, I, if I'm not going to go pro in NFL, I'm going to go pro in something else. So I had that thought in college. I was like, I'm going to go pro in something else. I'm going to be, I'm not, I'm not going to just be just out here trying to, you know, just trying to survive. I'm like, I'm going to be the guy in some, in some industry somewhere. So all that, all those thoughts started in college and everything. So by the time I made that conscious decision, it was more so about, okay, what am I going to, like, what am I going to do next? Like, what's going to be that next thing? And <clears throat> by the time I graduated and got out of football and I finished my senior year, um, to me, the toughest transition was the psychology of it was um, the first, like the first three, I graduated in 05, from 05 to probably 08, I didn't watch football, period. Like now looking back, I think I think I was probably just kind of burned out from it because there was, a, there was an element of, I didn't achieve the success that I thought that I thought my talent would allow me to achieve because, you know, this, the constraints I had in high school and college and seeing some of the players playing the NFL that I played with the played against in high school or against in college. And I was better than or, or beat them. That just made me even more angry. I was like, I was like, man. So for three years, I didn't see any football and I didn't miss it at all. So much so that um, my, my, my now wife, we dated, started dating during that time and we got married in 08. And I didn't really start watching football to the to the 08 season, and that it was a shock to her when I got back into it and how I was like really the juices started flowing. She was like, "I've never seen this, you know, this side of you because she, you know, she didn't see me play or anything like that." So um, that transition, the psychology part of it, was just for me to kind of let it go and just say, you know, that was a chapter in my life that um, I learned a lot of lessons from. I enjoyed it, but the football doesn't define me. And now up to that point. I think it defined me because I was like, you know, hey, I'm Patrick. I'm, you know, I play wide receiver. Like it, it was part of my my introduction, so to speak. Mm -hmm. So that that transition was more tough psychologically in the beginning, but over time, um, I, I've, I've I've definitely learned to deal with it. And now it's just it's just something I, I sit back and reflect on, and with 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 a lot of happiness. So you know, it, it was it was a it was a it was a good time. Let's talk, let's talk about your career in healthcare. Did y'all did y'all uh, aspire to work in the medical field? Um, no, <clears throat> I got in the medical field by divine intervention. Um, so I graduate college, and the 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 so well, so I, I'm gonna try to be long, uh, quick on this because there's like I can we can do another podcast on just how I got in healthcare. <laughs> <clears throat> but um, when I was in college and I was majoring in business and I was making business connections. I connected with the vice president of uh, human resources for all of UPS in, 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 the, in the globe or the world. And um, I was part of this exchange program called the Black Executive Exchange Program. Or we call it BEAT um, on, on campus. So we had executives come from uh, all across the country and I would be one of the hosts. I would have to dress up in a suit. I would take them to, um, to lunch, dinner. And I would uh, show them to their uh, classes where they gave information to the students. And we just talked about corporate America and all that. So in those interactions, I got the information from the VP of HR and I told him like, you know, I, I'm, I would be interested in working with UPS when I graduate. 
So he just makes a phone call to the Daytona branch and he, he calls me. He's like, hey, go to the uh, go down to Daytona branch off, off of Fentress. And he's like, fill out an application and you got a spot. So I go down there, fill out application. And um, I played the Florida Classic 2004 on a Friday or, or Saturday. That next Monday, I, that next Monday at 6 p.m., I walk into my first day at UPS. So, so as soon as I made that break, I was like, I'm, all right, I'm done. We're, we're moving forward. So I get there. I work at UPS for about, uh, I work I work at the night, they call it the night, the night shift. I work the night shift for uh, three months and then I get promoted to operations supervisor. So I'm still in college, but they want me to be the operations supervisor over the preload shift, which is the early AM shift. It starts at like 2.33 AM and it runs to like 9 AM. I still have eight o'clock, seven o'clock class or seven or eight o'clock classes, 9 AM classes. So for my last three months, I would go in, I had a staff of, I had a crew of like, probably like 25 people. I was by far the youngest by far. And <clears throat> I was like running, like they were unloading 18, 18 wheelers, the pack, the 18 wheelers uh, trucks. I love those on the belts, belts going all over the place. I had to keep the flow going and all that. And um, so I would work there for like, you know, from 2.30 to 7.30, get in the car, drive my eight o'clock class. I had like my UPS stuff, I had, I was grungy, dirty, but I was like, I didn't care. I didn't care about wearing anything nice. I was like, I'm graduating. I'm on a mission, like I'm out of here. Mm-hmm. And so, um, so long story short, I, I thought it was gonna be with UPS like forever. And one day I had a, uh, I guess, like a, 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 I don't wanna say a vision, but I just had this feeling one day when I was walking, uh, doing my rounds around the building. I was like, man, I think I wanna, I know I'm gonna contribute more to society than just moving around boxes. I was like, I know there's some more out there that I can do. So long story short, um, I, um, so, you know, from Warner Robins and I was thinking about, um, so at Warner Robins there's an air force base there, a big civilian uh, air force base. It employs a lot of civilians. And there's this, um, this thought that if you get on the air force base, you, they, they used to call it a sugar hill, a candy hill. Cause it was like, you get on base, you, you can work there for like 20, 30 years and make good money. You're, you're, you're straight. So I was like, I'm gonna go back to Warner Robins and work on the base. So my mom has my resume at the hospital because she's an employee health nurse and VP of HR walks in who remembered me from high school. And she's like, you know, how's Patrick doing? And my mom was like, well, he's probably going to be moving back to Warner Robins um, and he's in Florida now. And uh, so, so yeah, he's probably going to try to get on base. So she said she was like, would he be interested in working at the hospital? Because we just had an HR generalist quit two days ago and we got we have an opening. So my mom called me. She's like, you want to work at the hospital in HR? I was, at, at this time, you know, I'm 20, 22. I'm like, I just need I just need a check. I was like, yes. I was like, I was, I, I, and I, keep in mind, I did not want to go back to Georgia. Like when I was growing and I didn't go through all this, but when I was growing up and I left Georgia, I was like, I'm not going back to Georgia, small town, little Georgia. Like I'm done with that. So for me to, to say yes to that, I basically swallowed my pride and was like, you know, whatever it takes to, to get on my own two feet and to get this thing going, that's what I'm going to do. So, so, you know, I go in there, I interview, they offer me the job on the spot. And then um, I, I moved back to Georgia and I'm uh, working in uh, working in HR. And then from there, you know, uh, my progression has been, um, I guess, kind of kind of fast. I started I started in HR. Um, then I went to become a I became a director at the age of 23. I was the youngest director ever in that in, in my in my hospital history the, and the first black male in my hospital to become a director and then i got i was there in my hometown hospital for like uh five years or no, a little less than five like four years <clears throat> then i got recruited to uh, dallas um here the first time um in 2012 
And then I was here for a year, moved to Houston for two years, moved to Phoenix for three years. And I've been back in DFW since uh, for three and a half years, since 2018. And each move, I've had more responsibility. Um, so I started basically started from the HR frontline person all the way to now I'm the chief operating officer. And now I just report to the CEO of, of the hospital here. And I've had a lot of other responsibilities in, in, in between that. And routinely, I walk into meetings. I'm the youngest and like the only African-American male, um, typically, every, every, no matter where I've been at. That's just it's kind of par for the course. And probably the only um, high level college player, probably, too, in some aspects to be able to be in that role. I mean, you don't see former athletes walking in healthcare, and, and you know, just kind of I mean, working in healthcare. Um, and not many make it to vice president, as you mentioned. Talk about just a segment of the healthcare system that um, that you have had so much uh, success in, and what are your main responsibility in your current role? Yeah, so my my, my experience uh, up to this point, fifteen years, has been like in your traditional hospital setting and of different sizes and, and complexity. Um, so it's timely now thinking of COVID. So if you've been in the hospital anytime recently, you know, you got doctors, you got patients, you got um, towers, you got rooms, you got equipment, you got food, you got dietary EVS. I mean, it's almost like a mini city. So um, the part that I'm, the part that I play is uh, I pretty much handle everything in my current role, everything that's non-nursing. So if you look at, uh, if, you, if you think of, you know, radiology, pharmacy, uh, respiratory, uh, food, plant ops, um, contracts, all the, uh, the hospitalist physicians. Hospitalists are physicians who make rounds on patients on the inpatient setting. They don't, they don't have clinic anywhere. Um, I, I deal, most of my day is dealing with employees, dealing with uh, uh, physicians, surgeons. I have service lines that report to me in my current role. Like I have, I'm over the cardiology service line, um, over urology, vascular surgery, orthopedics, um, and, um, pretty much when the CEO is out or off campus or not there, I'm the, I'm, I'm the person that's in charge. So what's, 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 what's interesting for me, and it's funny, I'm in these meetings and, um, you know, I have people who are, you know, they went to medical school, they did a, a, a fellowship, they did a residency, they did, they've done two fellowships and they know medicine. Like, I don't know medicine, they know medicine, but when we're talking, it's almost like, we're equals because I don't know medicine, but I know business. Um, they don't know they don't know business, and I don't know medicine. So there's there's almost like a, a leveling of the playing field, and then particularly with with hospitals, that's how most um, physicians not necessarily make their money, but physicians need a hospital like support for their patients. Mm -hmm. So I'm always there to kind of navigate um, the benefit of the hospital for them, the benefit of the hospital for their patients, and then you look at you know what we're going through. Uh, the cost of healthcare for everyone. I'm always in those discussions. I have a huge um, responsibility for the community, so I'm on a lot of community boards. Um, I'm on, I'm on the, our um, I'm on the board of an ambulatory surgery center that we have that's separate from our hospital. That's like a joint venture with physicians. So my day, looking back, everything that I learned at Cookman in, in college, and then I got my master's degree and then my my MBA and then my work experience has led me up to this point to where. You know, the next really the next role for me is going to be the C, to be the CEO uh, of, of my own institution or hospital. And I've had other roles previous to my current role where I've been, I've been over multiple hospitals. Like when I was in Arizona, I was the chief strategy officer for two hospitals in Phoenix. And, and what and what that means is 
when I, when I take a step back and, and look at the business of healthcare, my job every day was to look and to see how can we uh, grow the service lines of the hospital? How can we add more physicians to the community? What new procedures or services can we offer that we're not offering now? How much is it gonna cost to bring it online? What bodies do we need to bring? What physicians do we need to recruit? I, I would go and recruit those physicians and bring them in. And then just doing that, you know, I, I ran into different people from different walks of life backgrounds. And I realized that, you know, everyone has a story on how they get to where they are. Mm-hmm. And it's just crazy being in those meetings where, you know, I'm talking to someone, like I said, who went to medical school at Harvard and they get their fellowship at, uh, at, at Jackson in, in Miami, Jackson Health. Mm-hmm. And, and, and then a lot of times they're like looking at, at me for advice. They're like, you know, Patrick, what should I do here? And I'm like, <laughs> I should be asking you what I need, what I need to do. And so sometimes I have those, I have those out of body experiences. I'm like, how did I get here? And it's the, it's, it's still the weirdest thing. I wouldn't say it's imposter syndrome. Maybe I had a little bit of that in the beginning, but now it's just like, you know, at, at my core and at my heart, I still feel like the kid from Warner Robins, Georgia, who's just wanting to go out and catch passes. <laughs> right. But, um, but, but yeah, it, it's, it's, it's really been a, a blessing to, to say that I planned it this way. Well, I'll be lying. So I, I really think there's a lot of divine intervention in, in where I'm at today. This is what truly um, just, 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 just lit me in terms of having the opportunity to bring you on and talk about this because it's, it's this is not something that happens every day, or you get the opportunity to talk about. The, the path that someone takes, even when you talk about, you know, HBCU experience. Now we have a lot of medical doctors and still come through HBCU, whether it be How, Howard mm-hmm. and Harry and all those different institutions that are great, but to be able to run an institution, I, I, was there any interest for you in medical at all? Like, were you a medical magnet? Did you like any interest at all in medical field at all? Zero, <laughs> none. I mean, to, to, you know, keep it honest, you know, I, my mom was, in healthcare, yeah. I really thought all hospitals was were was uh, physicians or uh, doctors and patients in a building. Mm-hmm. That's it. I didn't I didn't realize what was possible until I took the HR position. That's when I realized um, what that there was a business behind it. Well, and, and I'll tell this quick story. So when I was in HR, I was recruiting nurses and um, uh, ancillary clinical staff across the state of Georgia. So I would always go to different career fairs at different colleges. I was just driving around and just saying, hey, you know, come work with us because it was a nursing shortage at the time. And I remember the administrator who was over our hospital, I saw that he had signed a contract or something and I saw he had MBA after his name. And I was like, so he's not a, he's not a doctor? I was like, how can you be just an MBA running, running all of this? So I, I, I like researched him. I had a conversation with him and that's what started to open my eyes and my mind to say, well, you don't need to be a doctor to run a health system. So then I, so then I, you know, then I just got on the computer. I was Googling, I was like, you know, healthcare administrator bios, biographies. So I just started researching there, like everything about healthcare. I just, I just researched it on my own. No one like came in my ear and said, Patrick, you need to do this. I was like, well, let me find out what's going on. And the more I was digging, the more I was looking at, you know, chief operating officers, chief financial officers, CEOs, chief medical officers, vice presidents of whatever, the more I was looking at it, I didn't see any of us. Mm. So I was like, and and, and, and it really felt like a secret. I was like, who's keeping this secret from us? (laughs) I I remember thinking about that, I was like, I was was thinking about my friends, people in high school and college. I was like, I don't know anybody who's like dad or or cousin or whatever was running a hospital. I was like, how do you do that? Like, do they really keep this from us? 
So the more I was like searching, I, I could probably count on one hand the number of black executives at that time, this is like in the mid 2000s, that were like CEOs or just C-suite, let alone CEOs, C-suite in general. It, it wasn't many of them. There, there's there's more now. It's, I think they're starting to, we're starting to break through. But at that time, I was like, what's like what is this? I was like, there's a there's a there's a reason to try to keep us out. So I just started. I kept on researching, kept on researching. And I was like, that's what I'm gonna do right there. I'm going right there. So that that's kind of what what triggered me to get on my path. No, that's 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 amazing, man. And I, as I mentioned, just highlighting just that aspect because I'll say this real quickly too. When I got the opportunity to go to the NFL level, it open my eyes to more than just coaching, trainer, or player, right? There was right. everything from if you want to do, uh, if you're a graphic designer, if you are in analytics and you understand that, if you are uh, a nutritionist, if you, I mean, it was a video, video, it's so many different aspects. And I said, well, I want to, you know, let kids know that you just don't have to be the quarterback or the coach to have a successful career in the NFL. There's business right. on the NFL. There's, you know, there's presidents of NFL teams that, that handle solely the business side of it. So to me, that opened up my eyes that it was more than just having to play the game or coach the game. So I can just, right. so I can relate to you when you talk about getting into the hospital and realizing that there are so many different dynamics. Right. Right. And, and, and I, I think that's part of our, um, I guess charge or burden that we need to share with those that are coming up behind us is that most people don't really who come from like your background or my background they don't know that that exists particularly for African American males we all probably thought at one time or another we got to be ballers or entertainers to some extent mm -hmm. and the more I started like looking at um, you know how people make a living um, not being in the medical not being like a doctor and sometimes they make more than the doctor. I was like, whoa, what is what is this? You know, it, you know, so it, it just like it just kind of it just kind of fights against what we were either told or what we thought we knew growing up. And I think that's something that we have to um, communicate to the to those following behind us. And that's that's part of what I do now. I'm like a mentor within the healthcare uh, executive space to um, to well, to anyone from any walk of life. But particularly for like you know African American uh, males and females, just to say, hey, like here is really what's out there. If you want to be in the medical field, you don't have to always be a clinician. You can be a, a sales. You can be a vendor. You could you could work in um, business development. You can work in strategy. You can work in finance, and you can still make a good living for you know you and your family. So that's something I, I, I take per personally. <clears throat> so what advice do you have for athletes who might want to, who might consider working in healthcare on what it what it takes to be successful? I think my advice would be to um, research as much as you can about healthcare, about healthcare, and really any industry. Um, that's something that I that I did. Um, I, I was relentless in my research. I, I questioned, I asked questions of, of uh, executives or people within that space, just try to get an idea of what is really in in the space, what it what what it takes to be successful, and. Once you find that out, you will start to get an idea on if that's something that resonates with, you know, your core passion or your core being. And then I think once you get that, you obviously you got to get your foot in the door somehow. You got to get a position somewhere and, and get that work experience going. Once that happens, the biggest thing for me that I've seen and that I still do to this day is networking. Like in any industry, relationships are key, mm -hmm. like they're, they're paramount. And I think I think every opportunity that I've had. In my career, I still have I, I still have connections. I, I can I can probably pick up my phone and call somebody that I worked with when I was in HR now. 
when I was in when I was in Phoenix, I can pick up a call on my phone right now and have a call with someone that I worked with. So I'm always been keen on networking with people and keeping those connections. Because some people, when they network, they only network when they need something. Mm-hmm. You really need to network the most when you don't need anything. When 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 life is good, you got the job you want, and you're in the space that you want to be in. That's when you really need to network the most. Because at some point, whether whether you need a job or you need a uh, a business favor, you want to run an idea by somebody. It's easier when you have a team that you can call and say, "Hey, you know, I got this idea. I want to float by you, or can you help me out with, you know, X, Y, Z?" So networking is and relationship building is really key. And you'd be surprised at how many people really don't know how to either how to do it or are comfortable doing it. But yes. that is paramount. I mean, when I was at Cookman, they used to tell us, "You network or you die." <laughs> <laughs> I mean, unbelievable. Uh, I, 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 in, a, in a nutshell, just uh, just that conversation or that statement that you made in return in regards to networking and seeing beyond, you know, just what's in front of you is what a lot of times I will say to the younger guys when they came into the NFL, because, yeah, you know, the, you, you're told to kind of have your total focus only on the game. Right. But guess right. what? That, that that you know, there's a day that you expiration date for you and your playing days. When do you and how do you make that adjustment? So when you when you're able to be in the building, right, because you have the opportunity, see what other, you know, departments and and who's running what and make relationships, because and even with the endorsement deals, a lot of guys I will see go, um, you know, doing, uh, you know, autograph signings. Right. They'll get a check. Right. Most guys will go up and get a check and leave. But you're going to these these Fortune 500 companies. Find out who the VP is or who's over you know, the marketing and just start building a relationship. So when your time is up, you know, you have relationships with these individuals that can help you with that adjustment and right. help you kind of make that transition. And then, you, you know, you, like you said, you figure out where your passion lies. But one thing I also know about athletes, you know, we have that ability to adjust, right? Like yeah. we have that ability. And a lot of athletes, once they figure it out, the light goes on. It's, it's, it's nothing else like it. Right, right, right. Like, I, I think everything you said is, is, is key. I really think uh, athletes are are built for, uh, I, I keep using the term corporate America in any space, whether it's healthcare or whatever, because, I mean, there's an element of endurance, there's an element of uh, resilience, perseverance, mm-hmm. and there's an, element, there's an element of grit. And I think, you know, if you approach your, your passion, your career, your business venture with the same focus and intensity that you had on the field or on the court or on the diamond, that's, that's really what makes careers and success happen um, within, within, within that, within that workspace. Mm-hmm. And, and I think everything you said is, is, tr- is transferable. So like my, like my mindset that I had when I came into healthcare, that was the mindset that I had when I was playing football. Like, you know, I, 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 I always researched too to see who the best was. And I used to research to see like how did like Jerry Rice train, what Randy Moss do. I used to catch bricks in the backyard because I heard I, I read that Jerry Rice did it. So I'm like, I'm catching bricks in the summertime, I'm catching everything. <laughs> so I mean, it's like it's that same mentality if you take with you to whatever space you're in. Um, that's 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 how you be successful. Absolutely. Well, Patrick, we had you know, we've had you for some time, and we really appreciate all the gems that you share with us. I think this is going to be so valuable, even if it's just one. Uh, young guy that's able to hear this and this this is something to catapult his career and now he's interested in being uh, a CEO of a hospital one day or you know mm-hmm. something that, that that in itself I believe it, 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 the job is done so I appreciate you yeah. for coming on I appreciate you for sharing again your your journey um Dre do you have anything else for him man like I said thank thankful for for uh, 
giving us, giving us, giving us to us, man. This, this, this is great, bro. Like you, you really just inspired me to kind of get to do something now. Cause I'm, I'm trying to figure out what, what, what I want to do now. Cause football, right. football is my life. Football, is everything I ever done. So now I'm trying to figure out what, what, what's good for Dre now. I'm trying to figure out what, what I can do now. So like you really just inspired me a lot just now, man. Appreciate it, man. No, that's 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 no problem, man. Like I said, I, I thank you guys for having me on. I, I really appreciate and like what you guys are doing with with the content and the show. And you know, I, I just I just counted a blessing to be able to kind of share my story and and hopefully I can inspire someone to kind of be be um, a, a better version of themselves or to kind of walk in their purpose. So I, I think that's all of our responsibility. So I, I appreciate it. Absolutely. No, no, no question. Again, Patrick, we thank you for uh, all uh, first of all, again, joining us on, on our episode. Um, and we look forward to all the success, man, that you have in the near future. And even I'll say this as we wrap, you know, plan days as Dre. Dre retired. How old were you when you tried to retire, Dre? I was I think I was I'm 29 now. I think I was 27. You wow. have more life after you retire in terms of sports to do so. You being able to, to to get into this, and you've been in it 15 years, and you still got so much more ahead of you. You know, just understanding that your life after sports is so much longer than you know, even if you make it to the NFL, your career in the NFL. So, man, we're excited. I'm I, I'm just in, uh, in pleased to be able to see you know where your career is going, man. And we're gonna be um, supporting you along the way, man. So I appreciate you coming on, man, and we wish you the best. Definitely, same here, guys. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to another episode of What's the Hype Podcast. Remember to like, subscribe, and comment. Follow us on all platforms at What's the Hype Podcast. I've been grinding all my life, yeah. all my life. Been grinding all my life. Yeah. Sacrifice, hustle, pay the price. Want a slice, got to roll the dice. That's why all my life. I've been grinding all my life. Yeah. Got married to this guy. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.